you know, this is happening at a time when the macro economy is going through a really crazy time at the moment. We're seeing fragility in the banking system. There are signs of systemic risk and insolvency due to issues that have occurred through the Federal Reserve. And so Bitcoin is kind of emerging as this really strong foundation, this alternative to the fiat banking system where you're not trusting a few central bankers, but instead you're entrusting math and code. And so Bitcoin to me is this alternative that represents uh, economic empowerment for millions of people around the world uh, to opt into a different system, opt into a more modern system. And it's a chance for us to fundamentally reimagine how we think about our institutions in the modern era. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto, where we simplify big and complex ideas in Bitcoin, blockchain, Web3, and tech, while connecting you with entrepreneurs, builders, and leaders building at the edge of innovation. I am Vane, your host. Welcome back, everyone, to Unraveling Crypto. Today, I always say this in every episode, but today's guest is Andre and he is such a special friend, um, and I have to share this backstory. When the idea to create Unraveling Crypto uh, came to me, Andre definitely was one of my trusted friends that I shared and received a lot of feedback. When the name was something that I was coming up and being blogged, you helped me um, a lot in thinking about how can I really see the name being long-term. Ultimately, I think I didn't listen to your advice. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, but it turned out way better than I could have imagined. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you, Andre. Welcome to the pod. It's been long overdue. Thank you. Uh, great to be here. And yeah, you've been doing a great job with the pod and happy to finally make it on. Yeah. So I love to start with what are you grateful for? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm really grateful for two things right now that I keep coming back to. Uh, the first is really just to be uh, employed at this time and have a job that I really love. Um, there's a lot of people that have been uh, impacted by uh, layoffs in the tech industry. And uh, to have a job that I uh, love doing with people that I enjoy working with is something that is really special to me right now. I'm also grateful to have a very supportive partner. So a uh, fun fact about me is that I'm getting married this year and uh, having a partner to you know be with the, through this time has been uh, really amazing. I just love everything you said. I mean, from you're right, being grateful for having a job and I think being in a really peculiar space to not only have a job, but then doing things that you really love is so unique and precious. And then, of course, your partner, I'm going to just out her out, Mel, like she is someone so special to you two are like super special. Um, and I don't want to talk about your wedding. We had a conference, <laughs> but um, moving on. <laughs> um, 
Another question that I love to ask is, what's your superpower? So that thing that comes to you most effortlessly, you've probably been doing it since you were really young. Ooh, another good question. Um, so I would say my superpower is connecting dots between things that aren't very obvious. Mm. So I have a, um, my background is very like multidisciplinary. So I've studied philosophy, political science, and economics. And I also have a very like technical background. I've worked for technical projects. And so I feel like that helps me to um, see things that uh, can really make a, a business impact. Um, and I think that that is something that I've really tried to harness over the past couple of years. Ooh, I loved connecting the dots. I also want to add, I feel like when I think about you and all that you do, you're like an impact maker. And I feel like this really ties in really well with that because to be able to create impact, I think you have to see things really differently. You have to see patterns that most people sometimes don't in that industry or in that area. So, well, without further ado, I'd love for you to just share a bit about your crypto journey. I know you've been in crypto and Bitcoin for quite some time. So how did you first hear about it? And tell us your story about your crypto rabbit hole. How you yeah, found it. Well, I, definitely. Well, I joined the crypto space in early 2017. And at that time, I remember the price of Bitcoin had just surpassed the price of an ounce of gold. And I thought it was really fascinating that this new digital gold could um, pass the price of, of what we would consider to be analog gold. And so, you know, after I sort of discovered it, I spent the rest of the year really learning as much as I could about the technology, reading several books about the industry to really understand the future impact that it could have. And really, the game theory behind Bitcoin made a lot of intuitive sense to me, as well as the need to have a digital native currency. And so a lot of things really fell into place. And shortly after that, I realized that I needed to dedicate my career to this. And so I ended up making uh, several investments in companies and projects, uh, building infrastructure in the space. It was around this time that I actually invested in Blockstack, which is the company that uh, launched the Stacks cryptocurrency. So I had actually been in the ecosystem for several years before actually joining the project full time. Uh, and it wasn't really until Mainnet launched back in 2020, 2021, when I saw how transformative this could be to Bitcoin. And so uh, ever since then, I've been uh, really happy to you know continue exploring ways that we could bring more experimentation, more creativity back to the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I love that story because you've been basically an OG, one of the OGs at least. Um, like, you know, I still think anyone that joined during that time is has been through a lot, has seen a lot and experienced a lot of emotions. Um, I'd love for you to share, like, how has it been? Like, because there's been a lot of highs and lows, bear markets, bull markets. Like, overall, like, what has been your takes with being in this space since 2017 and where it's at right now? Yeah, so I I will say that I think that all of the cycles that Bitcoin goes through become much easier mm. once you've seen them a couple of times. 
because you start to realize, okay, this industry isn't going away. This is part of the natural cycle of how things happen. And you start to realize how you can really um, prepare yourself to make it through these cycles. And so one of the things that stands out to me is just having something that you're really passionate about and figuring out how you can really go deep. It could be solving a particular problem that you notice in the space and figuring out how you can add value to it. And if you do that, uh, I think that is really the, the number one way to survive uh, bear markets and really just you know drowning out all of the noise that happens in the industry that's constantly being flooded at us uh, and just focus on how you can add value to moving the space forward. Yeah. And I guess with that, a little bit about you and what you're doing in your background and like since coming into the space, you also worked in Ccash and you've landed now as being residency for SBTC. So can you share a bit about that and and your career journey? Um, and there's been a lot of pivots. So definitely, I think one of the things if you want to be in the space is being resilient and flexible, right? Adapting because it's still a new space and you have to be flexible because there's lots of moving pieces. So yeah, share us more about your background. Yeah, definitely. So prior to Stacks, I led business development at Zcash. This was a really uh, exciting time in my crypto journey for me, uh, really because privacy is such a foundational technology. Mm. And so you know, before this, I was already aware of some of the ways that Web2 companies were monetizing our data without our control or consent. And it made me really want to focus on this problem because I realized that privacy really was a key design principle for Web3, or I believe it should be. And there are many use cases for why privacy is necessary. It could be as simple as wanting to buy a gift for your partner and not wanting them to know about it. And so it occurred to me that privacy would be something that's really necessary for this industry to gain uh, mainstream adoption and that uh, I wanted to join really one of the leading teams that were working on this issue. And uh, so I joined Electric Coin Company, which is the team that launched the Zcash project, really some of the pioneers behind zero-knowledge proof encryption. And so basically what that allows you to do is to abstract away the sender, recipient, and uh, the amount that's being transacted when you're sending money uh, over a blockchain. And so um, this was a really great time uh, in my crypto journey. And um, yeah, it definitely led me to um, you know, wanting to uh, continue to find ways to push the industry forward in this way. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is privacy. I feel many of us, including myself, um, we don't really understand it and why it's important. And I mean, rightly so right now, we're kind of giving our da data away, knowing we're giving our data away to, you know, using all these social apps and things like that. And I mean, where do you see the future going with privacy and what's like a medium, like a happy balance for like an individual to understand it? Like, where should I start to learn more about privacy and why that, it, why that matters? Yeah, so I definitely think that um, privacy is something that our industry needs to pay more attention to in order for us to not repeat some of the lessons that uh, we've ideally learned from Web2. 
And so uh, this is something that, you know, right now, when you are transacting in a public blockchain, all that information is publicly available. I don't, I don't think people fully realize it. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I would love to see more investment going into zero knowledge. We've already seen a lot, but this technology is still really early. Yeah. There's so many applications of it that haven't been fully explored. Um, and we're just starting to ap- uh, approach the point where it's starting to be mature enough that you can do really interesting things with it. And so, yeah, I would love to see more teams building in this space and dedicating resources to figuring out how we can solve this issue. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, so kind of changing subject a little bit, where are you now and what are you working on now? Yeah, so now I am the SBTC resident at the Sachs Foundation. I'm basically responsible for product and partnerships for SBTC uh, and really leading the go-to-market strategy, making sure that we are delivering the best possible product for our users. Uh, And so SBTC is a Bitcoin-backed asset that will allow you to use Bitcoin and DeFi and other decentralized applications. And this is really an exciting moment as well. I think Bitcoin is the largest digital currency and has the most available and secure settlement layer. It settles nearly $15 trillion in annual transaction volume. And this is really a strong foundation that we can build the decentralized web on. And so SPDC is unique because it really builds on Bitcoin, but doesn't require any changes to the Bitcoin base layer. So you can use SPTC to move Bitcoin in and out of Bitcoin layers uh, for applications that are built around the ecosystem. And so I'm excited for this next generation of DeFi applications to to launch that are Bitcoin native that will allow you to unlock the full potential of uh, Bitcoin in these sorts of use cases. Yeah, you know, I think this is really interesting. Somebody that is looking from the outside in is like, what did Andre just say? <laughs> you know, when you're not really like probably, you know, some someone like me and I have a lot of friends, but what I feel like this is just like the the cornerstone or the structure that is really needed f- for the long vision, for the long-term vision. And it is so important for also to understand a little bit of what Bitcoin is and like the hope that it really is providing for many of us. And I think that our real world, our outside world, I say real, Bitcoin is real too. (laughs) It just feels really magical. But um, the outside world, we're noticing now with the bank runs and our financial system, how important it is to diversify and understand. And even if it's just to learn more about our financial systems, that's what Bitcoin really serves. And it provides way more. So Give us maybe your takes on on this, everything that's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I can try to take a step back. Also, I think that Bitcoin is a really important tool for economic empowerment. Mm. It allows people to take more ownership over their financial assets and their financial data, which is really a critical part of financial independence and self-sovereignty, which is something that I believe um, is something that is worth working towards. And so, you know, since Bitcoin launched, there's been a ton of experimentation and people trying to build on top of Bitcoin. 
And for a long time, I think people, you know, realized that Bitcoin has a very limited scripting language. It means that it's hard to build applications on top of Bitcoin. And so we saw a lot of innovation moving to other ecosystems. And really for the past year, Bitcoin has kind of been uh, underrated. It's, yeah. it's the largest cryptocurrency. And so the opportunity is still really massive for teams to be able to unlock this. And so it's really interesting. So what Stacks did was basically integrate Bitcoin at the consensus level. And so being able to tap into that Bitcoin and build on top of it without making any changes to Bitcoin itself is a really big unlock. It's something that you know thousands of people have been working on. And we're finally at the point where we're able to um, launch this and experiment with new types of models to make this a reality. And so you know, this is happening at a time when the macro economy is going through a really crazy time at the moment. We're seeing fragility in the banking system. There are signs of systemic risk and insolvency due to issues that have occurred through the Federal Reserve. And so Bitcoin is kind of emerging as this really strong foundation, this alternative to the fiat banking system where you're not trusting a few central bankers but instead you're entrusting math and code. And so Bitcoin to me is this alternative that represents uh, economic empowerment for millions of people around the world uh, to opt into a different system, opt into a more modern system. And it's a chance for us to fundamentally reimagine how we think about our institutions in the modern era. Andre, well, like I just want to like clip everything you said because I think it was so beautifully like put and said and like encompasses really the ethos of what why Bitcoin exists and you know why everyone should really um, take some time to begin to understand it. And yeah, I mean, I'm like speechless. I'm like, where do we go from here? But <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like I guess. Thinking more of long, like long term, right? We're hearing this narrative for a while that, like, there's going to be a flippening. And do you think that's still going to happen? And what are your takes of long vision with it, the overall crypto space, including the other blockchains? Yeah, I think that there's been a ton of really good experimentation and innovation that has been happening on other chains. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really beneficial for us to run these sorts of experiments before they happen on Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Because again, Bitcoin is this source of truth. It is something that is built to stand the test of time. And so the original developers behind Bitcoin intentionally made it so that it uh, was a little bit more difficult to change Bitcoin and to run these sorts of experiments. And so now we're at a point where I think it's possible that we'll start to see more of the, the, the more successful experiments start to return to Bitcoin. Mm. And there's precedence for this. So um, the Lightning Network is a great example where it actually uh, initiated on Litecoin. And it's something that was a, we were able to bring back to the Bitcoin network after 
sort of testing it uh, on Litecoin. I think that we're starting to see, uh, we're, we're going to see many other examples of this. Yeah. And I guess for somebody that's new, can you explain a little bit about when you mean like it's, you can't really change a lot or it's not as programmable Bitcoin, right? Is that, is that another way like of saying like, why is it more difficult or why can't be changed versus like ETH, right? Yeah. So Ethereum was basically made to be, um, to support a wide range of programmable applications through use of smart contracts. They use something called an Ethereum virtual machine, which we don't need to go into the technical details of that. But um, basically, it was it was designed to support a wider range of these sorts of applications. And so uh, with Bitcoin, what we've learned is that it's likely that this is going to occur in layers on top of Bitcoin. And so if you think about it, Bitcoin is like this really secure foundation that doesn't really change that much. Uh, but a lot of innovation can happen in layers that exist on top of it. Uh, Stacks is one of those layers that can bring programmability to Bitcoin uh, through smart contracts that can uh, read and write to Bitcoin and ultimately settle down uh, to the Bitcoin network. And so that's kind of how I see mm. that developing. Okay. And I guess like making a, a change from here, like what is really exciting you right now about the space? Like what has you lit up? Ooh, uh, well, there's so many, uh, so much innovation happening around uh, the entire crypto industry. There's a few things that I'll talk about for this. The first is ordinals. Uh, ordinals are a really interesting development for Bitcoin. I, I call them a black swan yeah. because nobody saw them coming at the beginning of this year. I guess I'll give a little bit of a background for you know how that came to be. But basically, ordinals were a result of a upgrade that went live in Bitcoin uh, in mid-2020-22 called Taproot. And this basically allowed for very simple smart contracts to occur. And um, basically what the developer behind Ordinals realized is that you could uh, use the uh, a part of the Taproot transaction uh, to inscribe data and information directly to the Bitcoin blockchain. And this is done at the individual Satoshi level. And so now you can inscribe these digital artifacts to Bitcoin. And it's basically providing a new tool for creators to launch NFT collections and store information on the Bitcoin blockchain. So this is another example of innovation that really took off on Ethereum and other chains. And we're finding ways to do it in Bitcoin, but also leveraging Bitcoin's unique properties. So Bitcoin is the Uh, most secure chain that exists right now. And it's uh, really built to last uh, through its security and resilience. And so, you know, if you're a creator that's looking at which chain you're going to launch your NFT collection on, uh, I think it's likely that you're going to want the one that you know is going to exist 10, 20, 50 years into the future. And today, Bitcoin is the chain that we can say that with the most amount of confidence in. 
Uh, so ordinals is definitely something that uh, I'm paying close attention to and this new sorts of activity on Bitcoin. Other areas that I'm excited about, there's so much innovation happening in the broader crypto industry around uh, identity. Mm. Identity is something that uh, I think is another really big unlock for the crypto industry. Because basically you think about any application that requires trust or reputation. There's so many. Um, and there's no, like, as, as of now or to date, there hasn't really been a great way to build reputation and trust on chain. Yeah. And so identity is something that I think can really help to unlock more sophisticated applications that require that. You know, I think this is really important to say because we're talking about like the long term and do you, where do you see, um, the whole of crypto really in the future? Is it like taking over? Is it replacing? Is it like amplifying? Like where is going to, where is crypto, crypto going to be? <laughs> yeah. So I basically think that we are building an alternative uh, internet, an alternative financial system, basically in parallel mm. to the existing system. And this new system is built on values of transparency and permissionlessness and security uh, being really robust and anti-fragile. And so basically, I think we're, that we're going to come to a point where um, basically th this infrastructure that we're building will come to replace uh, all of the existing systems that exist today. And it's not going to happen overnight, yeah. but basically I think that um, eventually the applications that are built in crypto will just be a 10 times better improvement over what can exist today. And they'll be more aligned with the needs of the users that we're building it for that eventually that will become the standard. And so I think that's what we're building it for. And so, you know, I think a question that, uh, we try to answer is like, how are we going to onboard 10 billion users? How, how do we get to the mainstream? I think a lot of that has to do with the user experience. Yeah. I think that when crypto is more mature, most people will not need to understand the vast majority of how it works. I think there's so much of crypto that will likely be abstracted away from the end user. And so the average person is not going to need, to need to know how to use a public and private key pair. They'll probably use some sort of human-readable name that just works for them. Mm. The average person will not need to know the difference between all the different chains running on the on the background of their applications, uh, but these, these uh, chains will become more interoperable and basically be able to just work seamlessly uh, without really needing to... For, for the average end user yeah. to really understand what's happening on the back end. And so I think that's that's the future that we're heading towards, uh, where crypto is more ubiquitous. Um, but we've made improvements to the overall design so that uh, it just works and people don't have to think about it. Yeah. You know, what you say is super important because kind of going back to the very first part, it's 
we are functioning in a system that has been here for so long that to think that it still works or is going to continue to work without any iteration or evolution is kind of crazy too to just think like clearly it's not working but there's nothing being done to shift anything and there you're saying i love the mentioning of the parallel because it it will eventually take over and this is the opportunity for the curious people to dive in and learn more and kind of be like cool storytellers to their kids and like grandkids and I'm like if that's all we get to be cool because at the end of the day like uh like you said at the for the masses to understand or the average person you might not you you won't need to learn the intricacies or the tech not like the tech behind it necessarily but we're in really interesting times and definitely history is being made. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's still so early. Yeah. You know, like people forget, you know, the industry, I guess, has been around for around 15 years now. Um, but there's still so much that needs to be built out. And we're still experimenting with the best standards, the best use cases that are really going to drive that next growth, uh, that next growth phase of adoption. And so, you know, if you're new to the industry, there's just so many ways to get involved. It's really just a matter of finding what you're passionate about and figuring out how you can, you know, add value in, in that space and really make a difference. Yeah. I kind of going, I want your take on the state of how the government sees crypto. Um, we're seeing CBDCs and um, yeah, I want to, I want your take uh, on that as well, because I feel that the, what the mainstream sees is sometimes bad or not really shared precisely. So I just want your take on like how the government sees basically the crypto industry. That's a great question. So I think that crypto has this mixed reputation where at the same time, it is this tool for financial liberation and it attracts some of the smartest people in the world to solving these really difficult challenges. It also attracts a lot of the grifters and a lot of the mercenaries who are here to make a quick buck and they don't care about the same values as the true believers do. And so I think that people outside the industry and including the government, uh, parts of the government, if that's all you're seeing, if all you're seeing is these examples of fraud or uh, scams that are happening in the industry, it can really um, bias your perspective, right? And so, um, you know, I think that we need to, as an industry, we can look at, you know, how we can better tell the story of crypto um, and showcase these examples of crypto for good and how it's making an impact in people's real lives and making that story uh, just as easy as possible for uh, governments and regulators to really understand. I think there's another part of this where governments are starting to become just a little bit more threatened to um, you know, their position of power. Mm. Right. And so governments have a 
monopoly on the ability to uh, control the monetary system. And they don't want that control or that power to leave into uh, alternative aspects of uh, into an alternative system yeah. that's outside of their control. And so there are very strong uh, interests that exist in the world to um, you know, try to make sure that, uh, that they are not giving up their power. And so that's going to be a struggle. I think that we're seeing it now. Uh, we're seeing it with this sort of coordinated um, effort for governments uh, and regulators in the U.S. to really crack down on parts of crypto. Uh, but I'm fundamentally optimistic. I think that um, over the long term, crypto is going to win. Uh, it might require uh, a change in administration. and um, But ultimately, I think that crypto will play a larger role in uh, like politics in the country and that eventually the side of the industry that is pro-innovation, pro-freedom will win out against the sides that uh, don't want to see it succeed. Yeah. And I think you, I mean, you're so well at explaining it because you just get straight to the point. And I really appreciate that. It makes it really simple. And it's like non-BS. This is kind of what the views are and the takes. I mean, I also find it interesting because yesterday in Twitter, um, Elizabeth <laughs> Warren um, with her her tweet that is building an anti-crypto army. And, you know, it's kind of wild the times that we're living in, really, just seeing this come up and and then we like, you know, kind of shifting lanes to AI. We're at a point that is evolving a lot too. And I, like I go to the gym and in the gym, sometimes I see the news, like the actual news and um, from the media. And it's like AI is taking over. I'm like, this is literally from a movie. Like <laughs> they need to put a pause on this. And I'm like, wow, we are, we are really in the future. Um, but Andre, thank you so much for your takes. We are going to be wrapping up soon. Um, but I have, I want to go into, well, before then, before the lightning round, is there anything else that you feel is important to share or you want to say? Yeah, the, the only thing that I really want to add is just to, just a reminder to everyone to keep a long time horizon when you're thinking about anything related to crypto or emerging technology. Uh, these changes don't happen overnight. And I think it's really helpful to think 10 years, 20 years into the future. Um, crypto moves so fast that it can be easy to get caught up in the current news cycle and, and what's happening day to day. Uh, but when you zoom out a little bit, I think that it's really helpful just to sort of like see where things are going. And as you mentioned, there's a, a whole range of emerging technologies and crypto is a part of that. And the world is becoming more digital and we're going to, and I'm excited for the ways that these technologies can uh, interact with each other to create a better future uh, and, you know, sort of reimagine our society than what currently exists today. So, yeah. You know, I think I want to say something regarding this. I have a coach um, who is amazing, Haley Carr, and she talks about 
that we like overestimate what we can do in three months and underestimate what we can do in 25 years. So she's like, you got to think about 25 years. And the funny thing about it is that three months is like 1% of 25 years. So if you change or improve 1% every three months, then over the 25 years, you're going to see a, a huge transformation. And this is kind of the same thing for, for what you're sharing. And it just it just resonated. And I thought it was important to, to say. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so this time is for lightning round. Are you ready? So it's, I ask you a series of questions and you can answer them as swift and without thinking too much. Okay. Okay, let's go. One piece of advice to share with the world right now. We can do it. <laughs> yeah. I think that was my last yeah. note, but um yeah, keep a keep a long time horizon and try to drown out the noise. Your favorite book? Ooh. Um I don't know if this is my favorite book, but one that I read recently that had a big impact on me was called The Creative Act mm. by Rick Rubin. Oh my God. It's all about how to I have it here. access your creativity. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's on. That's awesome. Yeah. It's such a good one, right? It's the type of book where you kind of just have to take in every line. I think every sentence has a little gem. Yep. of a new way of looking at the world to access your creativity. Uh, it's one of the books that I'll, I'll almost definitely be uh, reading over again and coming back to. Yeah, I agree. What a, what a great book. Okay, your go-to drink. Ooh. Um, like a, an alcoholic drink? <laughs> it could be. It doesn't need to, but it could. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, go-to alcoholic drink would probably be um, a dark and stormy. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Okay. But <laughs> um, what's the biggest financial, crypto financial regret or lesson you've learned? Mm. the biggest regret or lesson is to uh, always stay diversified <laughs> never go all in and to take profits <laughs> love that um your favorite place on earth Ooh, um I would say Miami. Ooh, come back. <laughs> and what do you love most about yourself? Ooh, these are good questions. Um, I, I think I love that I'm just like really curious and I want to, um, you know, kind of understand how, um, uh, the world works. And I think that that curiosity just leads to um, naturally wanting to learn and uh, kind of be a student. And that's kind of the approach that I take to crypto and, and everything that I do. Ah, Andre, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love <laughs> chatting with you. You're always so insightful and I learned so much. Um, again, thank you for being here. Uh, and I hope we have many more sessions like these. 
Of course. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, if you love this conversation, please subscribe, like, retweet, share with all your friends, even if it, they're newbies or they've been here for a while. It just helps the pod grow and have more awesome guests like Andre. Bye, everyone. <laughs>